So I have Andrew Yang over, okay? Presidential candidate. Um, I know you're a Game of Thrones fan. Yes, I am. So I created this drink called Giant's Even Milk. Even after the last <laughs> season, still a fan. Why though? It entertained us. I mean, it didn't end on the greatest note, but come on, it was awesome, overall. It was awesome up until last season, though. It was better before the last <laughs> season. Okay. And then we all needed a drink. Okay, you ready? We all been like, let me rewrite that season in my mind with some booze. You ready to try Giant's oh, Milk? This is actually very appropriate. Giant's Milk. Cheers. Straight out of Game of Thrones. What do you oh, think? I feel bigger already. You like it? Yeah. <laughs> I feel great. Okay, so let me, let, me, let me get into what I want to ask you. In Las Vegas right now, you have... Machines moving in and bartenders. Yeah, we do. Are I mean, being automated away. Yeah, now this sounds like science fiction, but MGM just replaced hundreds of its bartenders in all their casinos in Las Vegas with robots. Uh huh. That you just go and you tell it what drink to make, and then it does its robot arm shake a shake a shake, and it's a bit of a spectacle. All right. And then it serves the drinks to you. And why did they do this? To save money. Because if you think about hundreds of salaries and benefits, for these bartenders, they did the math, and they said a robot is gonna do the same job and it's gonna pay for itself over time. So this is, you can look it up. You, uh -huh. you can just no. Google that. So, so, but that tells me something. That tells me that in 30 years, because, okay, because if MGM did it, right? Yeah. I know that tomorrow, Cheesecake Factory's gonna do it. Um, TGI Fridays is gonna do it. Olive Garden's gonna do it. Red Lobster's gonna do it. So that tells me 30 years from today, there are no more human bartenders. Would you agree with that? There will be human bartenders, but they will be not in the big chains because the big chains will have the money. If you think about your mom and pop bar in the corner, like mm -hmm. they're not gonna get a bartending robot. Um, but to your point, after MGM does it, are the other casinos gonna do it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are the re restaurant chains gonna do it? Yes. And th the sad truth of it is that customers kind of enjoy watching the robot arms do their I thing. I know, I know, that's the thing, it worked. Because bartenders always thought, you know, no one wants to get a drink from a robot. Apparently, that is not true. They freaking love it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's brutally true. Because I, I grew up watching Cheers and you know the rest of it. It's like you think of a bartender as like a companion or consigliere or uh -huh. a sounding board. But now it's just robot arms making that drink. What other jobs do you see 30 years from today that won't be here? Because I know people in college right now taking subjects that I know do it. That's a waste of time. By the time as you graduate, that'll be non-existent. Yeah, there are many jobs that unfortunately are in the midst of getting replaced by machines and technology right now. Call center workers, when you call a customer mm -hmm. service line, it's going to be software that sounds like this. Hey, Sky, how are you doing? I know. I read, what can I, I do for I've, you? I've heard, I've heard stuff like that before. Yeah, and right now that software is terrible and you're just like, zero, zero, human, 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 get me a human. But in two or three years, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. So that's going to go away. Driving a truck or a car for a living, mm -hmm. they're making cars and trucks that can drive themselves, and that's the most common job in 29 states. Food service over time, if you go into a fast food restaurant, you can see self-serve kiosks in most of the locations now at this point, and it's gonna go to the back of the house, because they can actually mm -hmm. do a lot of the uh, assembling of food. Back of the house, he means like in the kitchen where you guys in don't the kitchen. see it. Yeah, right now they're replacing front of the house so that you just go beep, boop, boop, and then like the food comes out to you. Uh -huh. Now they're migrating to the back of the house. And it's not just these uh, manual jobs, it's also accounting, being a lawyer. Okay, so right there, don't become an accountant, don't become a lawyer, is that what you're saying? I would definitely say don't become a lawyer, because I, I did that job for five unhappy <laughs> months, and not only can you automate away that job, but it's also not a good time. 
Uh, but you can automate, I mean, artificial intelligence can already look at contracts and documents um, more quickly and accurately than any human. Oh, wow, I didn't, even, I didn't even know that one. Yeah, that's on. So, okay, so I'm an I'm a, I'm a 18-year-old, 20-year-old, undecided about what I want to do in my future, right? Yep. Like, what jobs will be here 30 years from now that, that make sense studying? Because if you, I would, because most people say, okay, learn to code. But I've already seen YouTube videos of AI doing basic coding. AI can do basic coding. Exactly. And if AI doing basic coding today, by the time as you graduate, imagine how good that'll be. Yeah, and that's one of the things that frustrates me, honestly. It's like learning to code. On one, that's not realistic for a lot of people. Two, a lot of people don't want to learn to code. And three, software is going to be able to code uh, in many environments faster and more accurately than uh, a human. So what I'd advise an 18-year-old, aside from staying sober, just kidding, <laughs> is uh, one, try and figure out what you actually enjoy doing. It sounds kind of cliche, but if you enjoy doing something, the odds of you being good at it, much, much higher. Uh, two, put yourself in position to continuously learn from other people because it's this team-oriented uh, type of work that's gonna be more and more in demand in the future. Mm -hmm. That stuff never goes out of, out of style. Uh, and frankly, we're getting less good at training people to be good team players. And so if you're a good team player, that's actually super valuable. Uh, whether, and now one of the things I love is I love entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. something like you're doing here. It's tremendous. If you can create your own opportunities, that's ideal. That's a very high bar. But the way you learn to create opportunities is you figure out what problems other people have and you try and solve them. And that doesn't mean you have to start a company around it. That can be just like, hey, I'm going to help you out and try and solve problems. That kind of thing. Um, will also always be with us. By the numbers, 44% of American jobs are subject to automation, so we're not gonna get rid of every job. In what, in what, in what period of time would you say? 20 years. You sure it's 20 years away though? Because just for instance- Oh no, it's a curve. I mean, uh -huh. it's happening right now. I mean, it happened to the MGM bartenders <laughs> like a number of months ago. Yeah. Um, so it's happening all the time, but what I'm saying is that over the next 20 years, uh -huh. it will be indisputable that a significant proportion of the jobs we're doing right now uh, will go to machines. Okay, but Andrew, so a lot of people out there, America is all about capitalism. I love it. That's why you know I'm here because this is this is capitalism. I love it. I love being an entrepreneur. You know, doing my own yeah, thing. You're you're dying in the wool entrepreneur. Sure. <laughs> but I can taste it in the script. <laughs> but I know that that is not going to be available to most people. It's not I agree. in a few years, even I me, agree. because right now they have artificial influences. Okay, they still look unrealistic. But then if you think of companies like NVIDIA that is able to make photos of very realistic looking people, you could create a guy who's ripped and fit and a girl who's super sexy and they'll be on billboards and posters and Instagram stories and, and they will not be real people. So half of the influencers in the future won't even be human. Yeah, they already have AI generated news anchors. I saw it in Asia. China. I saw it yeah. in China, yes. Now they're very boring and they just read the news so it's not like they're you know, simulating people's personalities. But you're right, we're not that far from a world where you're not gonna be able to tell the difference between a computer-generated personality online and a, and a real one. And in some ways, a computer-generated one might be more evocative because it's tied to your uh, desires and wants, uh, you know, according to the data. I know, it's eerie. We're not far away from this stuff. We gotta get our acts together as fast as possible. That's why I'm running for president. When, during the debates, I remember I saw a comment posted about you where a guy was like, oh, here's Andrew Yang talking about our robot overlords. But a lot of people out there don't realize the line between science fiction 
and reality is, rea yeah. is that's that's beginning to disappear. What I say to people is, look, you've got a supercomputer on your pocket. You're, you're in your pocket, you're probably watching this on the supercomputer. Donald Trump's our president. Your mall just closed. Uh, you know, it's like it's here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like none of that stuff would have made any sense just ten years ago, and now here we are. So we gotta uh, we gotta open our eyes. Okay, let me ask you about this because there's three pieces of tech that I've never heard you speak of, but these are some serious job killers. So I can just run through three, and you can tell me what it is. The first one is 3D printing. Most Americans heard about 3D printing because there was a guy trying to print a plastic gun. But we are way past that. We're printing houses, uh, collagen that goes in your knees and stuff. I mean, crazy stuff like that. The next one would be vertical farming because now you would be able to grow all your fruits and vegetables in a city and they would be higher quality because it's an artificial environment than the guys who are going out there on a farm. Also, with meat, now you have cultured meat, wherein you take a few stem cells from a cow and you're able to create a burger, all right? So, um, cultured meat and then vertical farming. I mean, if you're a farmer, you're like royally screwed. And this has nothing to do with China's tariffs. Well, I'm, I'm heading to Iowa from here, very politician-y, I know, but it's true. <laughs> I, mean, I, have been to Iowa. I mean, it's a primarily agricultural region. Uh, if you're a small farmer, you've gotten squeezed out by these conglomerates a while ago. Uh -huh. So, and, and a lot of the agricultural production has now gotten mechanized in the fields. So uh, to the extent that we're going to move it to vertical farming and cultured uh, animal products, I will say that um, you're not putting the mom-and-pop farmer uh, out of business because uh -huh. the mom-and-pop farmer got squeezed out by yeah. just like <laughs> these mega conglomerates a while ago. And the mega conglomerates will probably end up investing in vertical farms and, and some of the culture. But they're, they're fighting it because now you can't label, in some states you can't label, you can't call it like a vegan burger. You can't use, you know what I mean? They, they, they try to play with it to try to slow it down, but there's no slowing this down. Once this train starts moving, there's no stopping. That's just the way it is. Well, that's one of the themes in my campaign is Donald Trump sold, we're going to bring the old jobs back, we're going to turn the clock backwards. Uh, and I'm saying we got to turn the clock forwards. We have to accelerate. And my flagship proposal, as you know, is to give every American adult a thousand dollars a month, and so we can all start sharing in the progress. But I agree with you that some of these trends that, that you're, you've identified, they're just getting started now, and they're going to become more and more a part of our lives. But is a thousand dollars enough? Because when, when I look out there, here's why I ask you that. Okay, because I'm, I'm, I'm what you call a Facebooker. Like you've met YouTubers. I started on mm -hmm. YouTube. And now I do what YouTubers do on YouTube on Facebook. So I'm one of the original Facebookers. And I live by an algorithm like every day. Like some days we know, okay, dude, this algorithm change is coming down and our income goes to zero oh. overnight. And just imagining that spread all across the country. Like without universal basic income, these tech dudes have to move into bunkers and stay there for the rest of their lives. Because this... Like, guys are not going to take this peacefully. I'm friends with some of these tech guys, and, it, and they, they realize that life outside of the bunker is much, much more appealing <laughs> than the, the <laughs> opposite. They like sunlight, and they like fresh air. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we, we have to keep everyone above ground. And you think $1,000 is enough to do that? Well, $1,000 a month is a foundation. It's a floor, uh, and it's a way we can get started to um, start moving in the right direction in terms of the way we think about work and value in our society. Mm -hmm. 
Because we need to be bigger and broader about the way we think about work. I talk about my wife who's at home with our two boys right now, one of whom has autism. Right now we don't regard her work as having economic value or being rewarded in our society. So we start with this $1,000 a month foundation and then we start building on top of it. And it seems very forward, but if you think about it, it's just we're just decades behind the curve right now because Washington DC is way behind. You can see it, you can feel it. You watch a hearing in DC about Facebook and oh, it seems yes. like they never freaking heard yes. of Facebook. Chuck You're a Facebooker, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, Chuck Grassley was like, um, so Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> how do you make money? And Zuckerberg was looking around like, this dude don't know? <laughs> what? Is that a real question? Yeah, what? He, I mean, he knew he was smooth sailing from that point on because he knew Congress had no idea what this dude does. Yeah, I had no idea. And the most embarrassing thing is those questions you heard, if you heard them, that was after they prepared. <laughs> it wasn't like Zuckerberg had like a surprise visit and then someone's like, oh, here's just a question off the top of my head. That's after their staff researched it and you know said, this is the best question we can come up with. You're not in support of breaking Facebook up. I think that we should explore breaking up Facebook and some of the other tech companies, I do. Uh, I, I don't think that it solves all the problems. I think it's, uh, it's deeper than just breaking them up, in my opinion. But some of the companies should be forced to give up certain parts of their business, yes. Okay, but I mean, like, when you say break up Facebook, are you talking in terms of, like, WhatsApp is separate and then uh, Instagram. Instagram is separate, like that? I think that's a good way to look at it. But what, one of the things I've suggested, and this is going to be a little depressing, um, but we've seen higher levels of depression and anxiety, particularly among teenage girls, that uh, are coincident with smartphone use and social media use. Mm -hmm. And so what we have to do is we have to go to Facebook and Instagram and Snap and the rest of it and be like, okay, what is it about your apps and the interaction that is um, causing some of these, uh, uh, these mental health and emotional issues among certain populations? And so if you break them up into different companies, that doesn't actually change anything about the way teenage girls are interacting with the, the app. Uh, so we have to not just say, oh, if we break you up, then everything will be good. We have to actually figure out what we're trying to solve for and then that may involve getting uh, into a different set of issues than ownership structure. I see. Do you, okay, so some people feel that, hold on, I'm on Facebook, Mr. Zuckerberg, because I know you're watching this, okay? So, <laughs> I ain't bashing What's you. What's your just... favorite drink, Zuck? <laughs> Is it the giant's milk? Have you, have you, asked, have you met him? <laughs> oh, you can't answer that. Actually, I actually haven't met him. You haven't met him? Yeah, um, I haven't met him. No. I, I, we, have, we have people in common, but uh, I don't have, have these tech guys call you up, like, has Jeff Bezos call you up and be like, hey, I heard you bashing Amazon for closing malls. Cut it out, or, you know, you can lose your Prime membership. Have you gotten a call like that yet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff has not called me about that just yet. I mean, there, there are a lot of people waking up to the fact that Amazon, trillion-dollar tech company, paying zero in taxes. So that's not just me. I mean, if he uh -huh. called up everyone who said that, <laughs> He'd be calling a lot of people, let's put it that way. But hey Jeff, feel free to give me a call and we can talk about this, about how we're gonna get that money. <laughs> but, over, but overall, what's the tech community's response to you be, and in taxing them to pay this UBI so that Americans can have something to live off? Oh, what's encouraging is that a lot of techies are on board. I'm, I've got the support of hundreds of very prominent techies because most of them are just doing their jobs. They're just hanging out. And then if you say to them, hey, are you causing massive changes in other parts of the economy? They're like, oh yeah, I am. And you say, do you want to do something about it? And then a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them say, yeah, I would do something about it. You know, like uh, some of them are from the Midwest and they've seen what, what's happened in their own yeah, communities. Yeah, because the mid Midwest, like that. yeah, that's gonna, I mean, tech's gonna destroy that whole, any, any agricultural community 
have some issues coming. Well, the reason why Donald Trump's our president today is that we automated away four million manufacturing jobs in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Missouri, Iowa. So they've already felt it in the Midwest. Like they, they've seen it. And what's, ha what's happened to those jobs and communities is now going to spread to other parts of the economy. Basic income is, won't solve this. This is just be some, somewhat of like a softer landing. That's the goal. Well, basic income, the freedom dividend, if you imagine yeah, a thousand bucks dividend. a month to everyone here in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. that money would go into restaurants and daycare and a little league, it like supercharges communities. So it's not like, hey, you get your thousand bucks and then you know everything's golden, of course not. But if you project what happens in every community, if everyone has an extra $12,000 a year to spend, then that starts to create other types of opportunities for people at every uh, every educational level, uh, you know, every skill level. What do you say to the guy out there who is like, well, listen, I, you know, I, I worked hard to get where I am without anyone giving me a handout. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't agree with this. Okay, young people need to just work hard. You know, it's not so much an age thing. I just spoke at an AARP meeting, and right now about half of Americans who are uh, just entering retirement age don't have the money to retire. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so it's not like they're like, oh, I'm sitting pretty, like, screw the young people. <laughs> like, they're not sitting pretty. They're looking up being like, what the heck happened? You know, my parents, uh, one of them actually had something called a pension. <laughs> they started getting <laughs> rid of that stuff, like, very, very quickly. So, and my parents are in their, you know, 70s. So, uh, it's not like an age thing. There are a lot of people that support me that are... Um, entering retirement age and see that the economy is not working for them or for their kids. Because we, you know, um, live in this social media world where algorithms change on a daily basis, every day we come into the office and we discuss like whatever tech broke the night before. Wow. You know, and yeah. um, it is scary how quickly things are moving. I don't think Americans understand that. Like our technological know-how is beginning to double at an, an incredible rate. Yep. And, and in a couple years, you will go to bed in one world and wake up in a new one. And that's going to be happening not just overnight. It can be happening every few hours at, at the pace we're moving. Yeah, mo most Americans don't really understand what exponential growth would actually mean. Um, it, it's happened in processing power. Again, your smartphone... That would have been the equivalent of literally like rooms and rooms full of giant computers. computers. <laughs> like yeah, in, in several years ago. Yeah, yeah, like the 80s and like early 90s. Uh, and so it's hard for the human mind to understand what this is going to mean in particular areas of the economy, but it's happening. Uh, you know, and the the rate of change tends to be nonlinear. It can be like, eh, and then all of a sudden, oh. Bang, yeah, we, yeah. Cause we, so let me ask you this. Does, does a President Yang like fully endorse artificial intelligence research? Like you really embrace the science behind it and really try to push it? That's one of the themes of the campaign is we should be excited about AI, but right now a lot of Americans are not excited because what they see with the arrival of AI is that it feels like someone's pulling the strings or it could be that you lose your job to AI. And then what do you get in return? The goal has to be that we all are excited about the future. So if we all get a thousand bucks a month that's partially funded by AI, then you're like, okay, mm -hmm. that's good. The other thing is you need a competent government who actually c understands AI and says, look, this is great that it can help us cure cancer, maybe start to address climate change. Like, it, it can help us solve real problems, but also we can't let it run amok. We can't just say AI is going to replace hundreds of thousands of call center workers and the American public are going to get zero in return. 
And we can't have it that the government is decades behind the curve and out to lunch while these AI advances are going on. Mm -hmm. We need to have someone in the room who actually understands the technology and is like, okay, let's unplug this thing <laughs> mm. <laughs> like this time because you know, it's doing some stuff that we genuinely don't understand. And I'm friendly enough with the cutting edge technologists in the space that many of them are actually open to having someone in the room or a partnership with government because the most enlightened of them know that we're entering uncharted territory. Speaking of which. They like President Yang. <laughs> They're part of the Yang gang. Speaking of which, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, they all have, they all say we need to approach AI with great caution because we are very likely to create something that we cannot control. How do you feel about that? They're right. I know we need to be cautious about how we enter this frontier and uh, we can't be afraid of advancing ourselves and innovating, but we need to have some checks and some people in the room that represent the public interest. Well, would you, would you, are you endorsing, like, let's say, like, Elon Musk, for instance, feels that the way to avoid that ha happening is his company, Neuralink, where we try to sync the human brain with our cell phones so that as AI advances, we advance. You know what's funny is um, I had to give up my phone for a few hours. I mean, it happens to all of us. <laughs> and then you actually feel like you're missing a part of yourself. So I'm not even sure you need Neuralink. <laughs> At this point, the phone's such a part of us being like, ah, my phone has this. I mean, I, I think Elon's approach is a, a natural one and a logical one. Uh -huh. uh, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily just solves the problem where we're all like linked to our phones and then we all be, you know, it's because we're all, one, we're kind of already there. Uh -huh. And two, my being linked to my phone does not help some of like the bigger macro issues around the replacement of work. I could calculate stuff real quick though. Yeah, <laughs> I can already do that. <laughs> Are you really good in math? The opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math. Are you really good in math? I, I'm pretty good. <laughs> not to feed stereotypes here. Why is it that we have to stand in line in 2019, 2020, to vote, where we have the technology, where we could vote on yeah, our phones. Yeah, I know. We pay our parking tickets and whatnot. Yeah, like why can't, why can't I vote on my phone? All right, so here's the real truth. Our technology's not ready, <laughs> ready yet for us to have secure voting we, online. We can do it on a blockchain, though? So, we can, we're, so one of my uh, initiatives is that I want to move us towards online voting, but the reality is for the next at least couple of elections, we would need to have a paper backup uh -huh. um, because right now it's not quite as secure as we need it to be, and the blockchain can't support activities at quite that scale yet. Potentially it could. Okay, and I'm 100% on board with moving us in that direction, because it would be transformative for democracy if we could actually just vote easily yeah, and we all like, had total confidence like in like it. No one should have to leave work and Drop, you know, drop, and then wait in line for three hours. So I want to make election day a national holiday too, because if you're gonna uh, say we're a democracy, you need to vote, then mm. we should give you the day off. Um, but over time, I couldn't agree with you more that we need to move that stuff yeah. online. Yeah, you know, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I don't even have a car. Okay, I Uber. You know what I mean? I have to Uber to the poll to wait in line for three hours. Come on, man. I will say there are people I've met who are voters around the country who are the reverse of you. <laughs> they have the car, but they do not have the, <laughs> the smartphone. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get that. So I they, they want to be able to go someplace and, uh, and pull that lever. For Look, Yang. One of the things that we always complain about is, hey, in school, we learn all about photo, photosynthesis and algebra, 
Okay, stuff that does not pop up in everyday <laughs> life. But what we do not learn is like how to do our taxes. All the financial stuff that you really have to depend on. Yeah, so financial literacy should be part of our required curriculum in high school. Uh, not just financial literacy, but also basic psychology, health and nutrition, effective use of technology, uh, relationships and relationship management. I mean, th these are things that would actually make high school students excited to learn. But is there someone out there that, that actively... And it would help us. Is there someone out there that actively blocked this? Because it's just weird that we've never, like, even the best schools in America don't necessarily teach, teach you that stuff. I mean, I have an economics degree, and I was still not financially literate <laughs> until, uh, sometime thereafter. One of the things I've realized is you cannot become financially literate until you have some money. Yeah. So we put some money in your hands, we teach you financial literacy, and then it clicks. Yeah. Before then, you're like, yeah, whatever, time value of money. Uh, so uh, to your question as to why we have this archaic curriculum, it's because in America, we set up this curriculum during the Industrial Revolution that was very, very much geared towards trying to create industrial workers, uh -huh. and also pretends everyone's going to college when not everyone's going to go to college. And then the schools don't have a powerful incentive to adapt or evolve. And so if you show up on the scene and say, hey, we should teach financial literacy, you have tens of thousands of school districts and school boards around the country who are like, eh, well, I've got all these requirements, and like the teachers know how to teach them, and all the stuff, and the budget, and the curricula. Like trying to modify um, what schools are teaching now is like trying to move a battleship. Uh -huh. um, it's tough. So, I mean, we're in a bit of a pickle. Um, so I'm with you, we need to try and adapt and evolve. We should have high school courses that are actually relevant to kids, that they can't just bust out their smartphone and look up. Uh -huh. uh, and we have to say, look, college is not for everyone. We have to try and train people to have a vibrant, healthy, productive life, uh, even if they're not going to college. Because so much of the coursework right now assumes you're gonna try and go to college. You, you, UBI, um, you, you don't endorse paying off everyone's school debt, right? I think we have reached a point where we have an immoral level of school debt, and I, I would forgive a lot of it, but well, I, I don't believe in a, a blanket forgiveness. Like we have to, um, uh, so one of the things I propose is like a 10 by 10 plan, where if you commit 10% of your wages, whatever they are, it could be zero, uh -huh. um, for 10 years, then you're debt free at the end of that. Uh -huh. um, so that would help millions of Americans, but it's not like uh, we're just gonna scrub it all. We need to get the cost of education down, we need to m put money into your hands, whether you go to school or not. Um, but we have reached 1.5 trillion in school debt, uh -huh. and it's this crushing immoral burden on many, many Americans. Okay, I get that, but what about many of us who have not gone to college? Like, you know, the argument is like, okay, wait, wait a minute now, they getting hooked up, but we can't? No, I know what you mean. That's one reason why the freedom dividend hooks everyone. Right, right, so and not, I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, so I, I would try and work on the most extreme cases of student debt because some of these schools really shafted people. But I feel you, man, because like you were just making it happen. He's just hustling, becoming a Facebook star. <laughs> he didn't need school to do it. There's a lesson there. Yes. It, it, not that, not that everyone. Oh, just joking. I'm not. Just, Andrew Yang yeah. is not advocating that everyone become yeah, an I, influencer. Yeah. That's that's mathematically impossible. <laughs> There are not enough hours in the day for us all to become influencers. I, I thank you for coming out. You could tell, you know, tell them, um, you can say bye to the audience. <laughs> thank you all. If you want to learn more about me, automation, the freedom dividend, how we can build an economy that works for us, a trickle-up human-centered economy, go to yang2020.com, make a donation, the cost of a drink or less, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, and let's make uh, this country one that we're still proud to call our own in the days to come. So thank you all very much and thank you, Sky. Check out Andrew Yang. Thank you for watching. I realize this is a much different kind of episode, but hey, my bartenders are there, which I am one of uh, losing their jobs. So I'm wondering how long before machines here replacing me. Later, stay tipsy. Stay tipsy. <laughs>